Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with geopolitics and U.S.-China relations. That is the focus as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen attends G20 meetings in India and as climate envoy John Kerry holds talks in Beijing. Bloomberg's Stephen Engel has the latest from Hong Kong. This is another opportunity to continue this diplomatic push that we've seen, obviously, from the cabinet members of the Biden administration. You've had Blinken go to Beijing. You had Yellen go to Beijing. Yellen also, of course, keep in mind, went to Japan, G7. So her engagement with the Asia-Pacific is intensifying. This will be her third trip to India in the last nine months. You know, she says India is an indispensable partner in the Biden administration policy of friendshoring and securing uh, supply chains and diversifying away, perhaps, uh, from over-reliance on China. But the main story, again, really, with Kerry in Beijing and Yellen in G20 is really to find ways, and these are her words, to find ways to further de-escalate tensions uh, with China. And Bloomberg Stephen Engel reporting from Hong Kong. We've already heard from Janet Yellen at those G20 meetings. The Treasury Secretary says it's too early to eliminate Trump-era tariffs on China. Perhaps over time, this is an area where we could make progress, but I would say it's premature to use this as an area for de-escalation, at least at this time. Yellen says she wants to work with China on areas of mutual interest, including a debt restructuring for poorer countries. China's economy is also in focus this morning, Karen, thanks to some disappointing data overnight. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia anchor Brian Curtis has the details from Hong Kong. GDP grew 6.3% from a year ago, weaker than the forecast of 7.1%. The figures were distorted as last year, Shanghai and other areas were in lockdown. Sequentially, GDP was up just 0.8% from the first quarter. In the monthly data, June retail sales advancing 3.1%, lower than forecast. However, factory output was a relative bright spot, gaining 4.4% and beating estimates. More stimulus might be coming, but today... Today, the PBOC stood pat. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Brian, thanks. Well, turning to the U.S. economy, there will be no news from the Fed this week. Central bankers are in a quiet period until next week's policy decision. Despite last week's positive inflation data, former Fed Vice Chairman Richard Clarida still expects a quarter-point rate hike. Quite frankly, the Fed, several times in the last several years, including when I was there, uh, got burned when they looked at data that was improving and extrapolated that. So I think this committee will certainly be wary of declaring mission accomplished uh, uh, and, uh, and victory, but clearly they'd rather have data like last week's than some of the numbers we were getting earlier in the year. And former Fed Vice Chairman Richard Clarida, who is now a global economic advisor at PIMCO, tells us market bets on a rate cut next March make sense. On the earnings front, Karen, it'll be another busy week. J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo and Citigroup posted strong results on Friday. Now we get word from the other big banks. Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet has more. 
More financials will be reporting this week, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America. The flood of earnings reports come amid questions about whether earnings expectations justify the outlook for stocks. Laura Cooper is senior investment strategist at BlackRock International. We really have seen that better-than-expected earnings backdrop be a key tailwind for equity markets, and I struggle to see that trend persisting in the second half of the year. This week, we'll also be hearing from Railroad CS. UAL, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, Netflix, and Tesla. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thank you. We turn to politics now in the battle for the Republican presidential nomination. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is hitting the reset button on his campaign. Bloomberg's Amy Morris reports from our 99.1 newsroom in Washington. While DeSantis looked to many like the guy who could defeat Donald Trump for the Republican nomination, his campaign did not expect how Trump's two indictments would energize his base. Seven weeks into DeSantis' official launch for the White House, he's fired staffers, changed his media strategy, and streamlined his travel schedule. Sources tell Bloomberg that at this point, no campaign staffer should assume that their job is safe. Next, his first major TV interview with a non-conservative outlet, CNN, is set for tomorrow. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris. Bloomberg daybreak. Okay, Amy, thanks. Meantime, another Republican candidate, Chris Christie, is trying to turn the heat up on Donald Trump. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story. Trump says he doesn't know if he'll attend the debates. Christie says he thinks he'll be there. His ego, I think, will not permit him to have a big TV show that he's not on. Uh, and I think he'd be enormously frustrated sitting back at Bedminster and watching what I'm going to do to him. Over the weekend, Trump said when he gets indicted, he's doing it for the American people. He's a liar and a coward. Uh, he's not getting indicted for anyone other than because of his own conduct. Christie's latest ads call Trump chicken. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Ed, thank you. And by the way, Chris Christie made those comments on ABC's This Week. You can catch the show every Sunday on Bloomberg Radio. And it's now time to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. New York Governor Kathy Hochul said air quality health advisories are being issued for today for the entire state. Hochul says residents with breathing issues, the very young and old, should stay inside today due to drifting smoke from Canada's wildfires. Governor Hochul spoke during a news conference Sunday. It's likely to be unhealthy for sensitive groups. That's our orange category. Again, normal is 0 to 50. We're expecting tomorrow to be 100 to 150 on the air quality index. The smoke is expected to cause the air quality index to reach levels upstate that are unhealthy for all people. A cluster of severe thunderstorms pounded the nation's northeast over the weekend, unleashed heavy flooding in Pennsylvania, and halted operations at several airports. At least five people died and two children were still missing after floods ripped through Bucks County, Pennsylvania, north of Philadelphia. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro. On behalf of more than 13 million Pennsylvanians, I want Bucks County to know that we are here with you. We are praying with you. And we will continue to do everything in our power to lift you up. Governor Shapiro says it is a devastating blow to the community. 14 states are under heat watches and warnings today. In Arizona, temperatures have hit 110 degrees or more for 17 straight days. This woman brought her young child to a water park in Phoenix to cool off. We've had years where it's been wet and cooler, but overall it's just been hotter and hotter over time. El Paso, Texas, has seen triple-digit temperatures for 30 consecutive days.
Traffic on a key bridge connecting Crimea to Russia's mainland has been halted after reports of explosions that Crimean officials say were from a Ukrainian attack. The bridge was damaged in October by a truck bomb and required months of repairs before resuming full service. And this tragic news, finally, about a New York CBS2 meteorologist. Elise Finch died suddenly over the weekend. Finch was just on the air a day or two before. Her heartbroken colleagues called her a gifted and consummate professional. Her cause of death has not been determined. Elise Finch was 51. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashauer. All right, Nathan, extra innings for the Mets and Yankees. The Mets at City Field waited through a four-hour rain delay, and then their bats were again quiet. But Luis Guillorme with a base hit, 10th inning to beat the Dodgers 2-1, ending the Mets' four-game losing streak in the three games with L.A. They only scored three runs. Meanwhile, dreadful loss for the Yankees in Denver. They led 3-1. Then trailed 5-3 as C.J. Crone hit an eighth-inning grand slam for the Rockies. Yanks were then back ahead 7-5 in the 11th. Colorado with a two-run homer to tie the game and a solo shot to win 8-7. Yankee bullpen, which had been a strength, has an 80 RA in the last eight games. The Yankees are tied for last place, and now they have to deal with Shohei Otani. They visit the Angels tonight. Are the Giants going to sign Saquon Barkley to a long-term deal before the 4 o'clock today deadline? And if not, does he agree to play on the franchise tag, or is he going to be a holdout? Here are the most recent comments made by Giants GM Joe Shane. How we want to build this team and allocate our resources, and that's that's what it comes down to. So, again, he, he's a good football player. Um, he was durable for this this year. Uh, he played well, and, you know, again, he's... He's a guy that we'd like to have back. The question being at what price? DeAndre Hopkins became a free agent when released by Arizona. He's going to sign with Tennessee. And Wimbledon, the 20-year-old Spaniard Carlos Alcaraz playing a grass court tournament for only the fourth time prevailed in five sets over Novak Djokovic, who was going for his 24th Grand Slam title, fifth in a row at Wimbledon. Alcaraz, the third youngest to win in the open air. And what a weekend on the golf course for Steph Curry at the celebrity event in Lake Tahoe. A hole-in-one Saturday, and then on the last hole in Eagle Putt to win the tournament. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. More signs of slowdown in China's economy weighing on global markets this morning. But for U.S. investors, the focus may be on the earnings outlook as the Federal Reserve goes quiet before its next policy decision coming up a week from Wednesday. Well, so let's get you set for this trading week ahead. We're joined now by Dennis Gartman, the chairman of the University of Akron Endowment Investment Committee and the former publisher of the Gartman Letter. Dennis, I've really been waiting to get your take on what this Fed could do next after the positive reads we've gotten on inflation. There's still this expectation that we're going to get a rate hike at the end of this month. But is it going to be one and done? Should it be one and done? It's probably going to be one and done. There's no question that they will raise the overnight Fed funds rate by 25 basis points when they meet next week. That's absolutely beyond question. They've they've made it abundantly clear that will happen. Whether they go another 25 basis points at the September meeting is open for debate. I have my doubts as to whether that they shall or not. I think that five and a quarter to five and a half is probably as high as the terminal rate shall go. And I my my guess is that uh, we'll see probably some relatively weak uh, employment numbers coming out over the course of the next uh, 30 to 60 days. That'll be enough to keep the Fed from moving in September, but it will be a long time, a very long time, probably late 2024 before the Fed begins the po- their, their policy of, of allowing the overnight Fed funds rate to reduce. Yeah, that's so, uh, m- up 25 basis points at the next meeting, and that, mm-hmm. that may well be the end of it. Yeah, we've heard that message from you for uh, quite some time here that this market isn't yeah. pricing in the uh, rate cuts uh, the way you think they should. Why is that? Why do you think the, the uh, market at this point is uh, fighting back against this idea that higher or that higher for longer, longer isn't going to mean what the Fed has kind of <laughs> indicated that it's going to? It's, it's a very good question, and it seems to be beyond my ken. I, I've... Um... When, when the Fed began the policy of, of raising rates uh, almost two years ago, I said at that time that rates are going to go a lot higher, dem- demonstrably a lot higher. And I, th- I actually said at the time that we'd probably see the Fed funds rate get to 45 or 5% before it was done, which seemed to be uh, contrary to almost what anybody had, had anticipated. And I've always said that when the Fed begins the policy of changing rates from, high, from lower to higher or from higher to lower, they take rates demonstrably farther and much for a much longer period of time than anybody wants to anticipate. Here we are two years later, and it's going to be at least another year before, we, before the Fed begins the policy of allowing rates to decline. Why, they've been, why the market has wanted to anticipate a, a quick return to, to easier Fed policy is really quite beyond me. It, it, it has made no historical sense whatsoever, and it has made no economic sense. So it's, it's caught me off guard, I'll be blunt. What's the trajectory for commodities right now, now that we're seeing continued signs of slowdown in the Chinese economy and now indications this morning that the grain deal that's kept Black Sea grain coming out of from Ukraine uh, could be expiring now? That probably will expire. And, and that that would be bearish for, for one would anticipate that that. The expiry of that that agreement would be bearish for for uh, wheat prices predominantly because of the the importance of of uh, Ukrainian and Russian wheat to the world wheat market. But nonetheless, everybody understands that. I think that's a, a discounted circumstance, and it appears to me that commodity prices generally are, are extremely cheap relative to stock prices, which are extremely expensive. 
Uh, I, I would uh, err upon the side of owning commodities in, in, in broad terms, owning grains, owning livestock, owning uh, crude oil, owning uh, copper, owning tungsten, owning uh, the base metals. I think commodities on, on balance are extremely inexpensive relative to stock prices. Do you see that trend continuing, even if uh, inflationary pressures continue to ease? Yes, I think so. I think we've been under pressure as far as commodity prices have been for the past year or so. Uh, the only commodity that has actually been going from the lower left to the upper right has been gold prices, and they've actually been coming down for the past two months. But on balance, wheat prices have been under pressure. Corn prices have been under extreme pressure. Soybean prices have held on, on their own. Pay attention to the term structure of the commodity markets. Uh, soybeans are now inverted. Wheat is now inverted. Corn is the only commodity, uh, grain, grain commodity that is not in, a, in an inverted uh, term structure. So pay attention to the term structures. Err upon the side of owning soybeans, err upon the side of owning wheat, and err upon the side of being negative or, or unbiased towards the corn market. The, what nobody seems to be paying attention to is that livestock prices have been, on, uh, have been going from the lower left to the upper right rather consistently lately, and no one's paying attention to that. And the fact that copper prices have stopped going down and have started to turn, from the, have started to turn upward, which I think is indicative of global uh, economic strength rather than global economic weakness. So watch commodity prices. As I said earlier, they, they seem to me to be relatively cheap compared to extremely relatively expensive stock prices. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.